0: You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Today, we're going to hear from someone who is leading the way in environmental care through an organization called Blessed Earth. Joining me this week to listen to and discuss this interview are my friends and fellow leaders, Jake Sullivan and Michelle Mahalko. So today we're talking about the environment, and I want to start off with this question. What was a moment in your life that either shaped your view of the environment or showed you the value and beauty of nature? Michelle, how about you?
1: Uh, yeah, for me, there was a time in high school when I got to um, go out to Hungary and a couple other European countries. And one of the
0: countries we went to was Slovenia, and we did this nature only, no technology uh, camp that we did for like a week and we had to survive with like really minimal essentials. Um, but I just remember one of those days we spent three hours and we had to find a place by ourselves and it was near this river. Actually the river was in the Prince Caspian movie during one of the battle scenes. Okay. Uh, and this icy blue water, it was just beautiful and, uh, just Just got to sit there for three hours reflecting on nature and, you know, as a Christian also reflecting on how great God is in
1: his creation.
0: Jake, how about you?
2: Yeah, I was always a bit outdoorsy throughout my life. Um, Being a southerner, I just sort of went outside to play. And it was competitive for most of my adolescence. So I wanted to climb the tallest tree and then climb the tallest mountain and hike the hardest trail and live, live as like masculine as I could in the wilderness while I was living in California I got the chance to hike a slot canyon in Zion National Park called the subway and you get to the bottom of this canyon and there are these beautiful pools and waterfalls flowing and it was so breathtaking that like I had a moment of realization that I didn't want to conquer nature I just wanted to live in the experience of it and that led me to want to preserve it more and to, to keep it safe.
0: That's incredibly deep and philosophical, but I also have to ask, is that experience what led you to buy your own Subway today? <laughs> it is not, but it's weird how that has come up multiple times in my life, so maybe. <laughs> well, our guest today is the Managing Director at Blessed Earth, which is a nonprofit focused on inspiring stewardship of all creation. After a spiritual and environmental conversion experience, she and her family radically altered their footprint, reducing their electricity use to one-tenth and their fossil fuel use to one-third of the national averages. She now travels throughout the U.S. with her husband, speaking and writing about faith and the environment. She's the author of Go Green, Save Green, A Simple Guide to Saving Time, Money, and God's Green Earth, as well as Almost Amish, One Woman's Quest for a Slower, Simpler, More Sustainable Life. Here is Nancy Sleeth. Nancy, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Great to be here.
0: I'd like to start off today by hearing from you about your organization, Blessed Earth, and how it came to be. So could you share with us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. I have to go back a little bit further. I was raised in a Jewish family, and my husband was raised in a an nominally Christian family. And when we decided to get married, neither one of our families was pleased about it. Mm. So we said goodbye to religion and raised our children celebrating all the holidays, but not having any of the faith. And um, my husband became a doctor, and we pursued that other religion, which is the American dream. And having money and a big house and success were really our gods. Well, like everybody else that ever exists on this planet, bad stuff happened to us, and we did not have the resources spiritually to handle those bad things. So I'll just share a couple. Uh, my only brother drowned in front of. My children. Wow. And shortly after that, a patient that my husband had resuscitated from drug overdoses a number of times in the ER uh, became obsessed by Matthew Mm -hmm. and did some scary things. And finally, when we alerted the police, they checked on this young man's apartment and he had killed his mother and stuffed her in a closet and had been sprinkling carpet freshener over her body for a couple of weeks. So really dealing with evil for the first time. And how do you deal with evil? Well, um, If you look in a medical textbook, there's nothing in the index that says evil. Hmm. And so we had to look for different places to find answers than we had ever searched before. And so we uh, began reading some of the world's great sacred texts, the Ramayana, the Bhagavad Gita. But eventually, on a slow Sunday morning in the emergency room, my husband picked up a Bible. And he said, hmm, we have thousands of books in our home library, but we don't have a single Bible. And I'm kind of curious what it has to say. And so he, he stole it. No way. <laughs> and it was a Gideon's Bible, so he's been forgiven. But long story short, he gave that same Bible. He read the Gospels. He started in Matthew because his name was Matthew. Um, we wouldn't be here if uh, his parents had named him Numbers. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> he read not Matthew, encountered Jesus for the first time, and became a follower. Jesus was unlike any other person or God that he had ever encountered in all of his, his reading. And he gave that same book to our son, who was about 12 or 13 at the time. Um, then he gave him Mere Christianity, and that sealed the deal for Clark. And I'm from that stubborn, stiff neck people, so it took me a little bit longer, but we had started uh, going to church on Sundays, and I was just humoring my husband. Um, I don't like confrontation, but he had also given me a audio recording of Oral Roberts, reading the New Testament with commentary. And so on my Sunday afternoons after church, I would take this little hike up a mountain and listen to Oral Roberts read the New Testament to me. And one Sunday, I went a little later than I should have, got back, um, coming down the mountain through the rain. It was getting dark. And Jesus came beside me and told me that he would never leave me, and he never has. And then shortly after my conversion, my daughter came along. So then we were all on the same page. And that's Finally, I'm going to answer your question. Uh, How did blessed earth come about? Well, um, we felt called to uh, live a different lifestyle than we had been living. And um, one of the things that became pretty clear to us is that we were consuming too much of the the world's resources, uh, an unfair proportion of the world's resources. And so we made some dramatic changes in our life. Um, My husband wrote a book called Serve God, Save the Planet. And he started to get hundreds of speaking requests. And so we began our ministry, Blessed Earth, so that we could say yes to churches that didn't have any money to pay us, but that we could get there anyway. So that's that's the beginning of it.
0: Now, as I hear your story, I don't immediately hear anything about the environment in your spiritual experience. What was it that drew your attention to the environment specifically?
1: Thanks for asking that, Josh. So. Shortly after those bad things happened to us, we went on a vacation to an island off the coast of Florida. Uh, we were living in Maine at the time. Um, we we had a big, beautiful house on the coast of Maine, and uh, in the wintertime, it gets very, very cold, and they closed the schools for uh, about 10 days in February, so we usually went down to Florida. And, um, we had put the kids to bed and we were sitting out on a balcony, my husband and I, and for, I know now it was the Lord who led me to ask a couple of questions. But, um, at the time I wasn't a believer. And I just said to him, what do you think is the biggest problem facing the world today? Hmm. And he thought about it for a minute. And he said, the, the earth is dying. He said, you know, AIDS is terrible and poverty and greed and all those other things. But if we don't have a platform to play out those things, then um, that's probably the biggest problem. And he said, you know, there's no elms left on Elm Street, no caribou and caribou Maine, et cetera, et cetera. And so I listened to him and I thought, well, he's right. I I get what he's saying. But then I said, okay, well, if the world is dying and we just put our kids to bed, we care about the future, what are we going to do about it? And he didn't have an answer for me immediately, but that's when we began um, really thinking about our stewardship responsibilities as uh, people that were just beginning to look at the Bible and understanding what our role was in terms of loving others as Jesus commands us to do. Um, How was our consumption impacting others? And so that's how the journey began.
0: Well, thanks for sharing that. Now, this is a leadership podcast Oftentimes, people see a problem but don't do anything about it. Leaders are those people that see a problem and actually take action. So what was it that caused you to take action with this problem that you saw?
1: Well, I would say the motivating factor was our newfound faith in Jesus. And we did not see a lot being done in the church. And yet, when we read the Bible— From Genesis to Revelation, God is very clear about our stewardship responsibilities, that he reveals himself through the living word, which is something I love and can never get enough of, but he also reveals himself through the world. And when people are not caring for his gift of the beautiful world that he created, we are doing a disservice to future generations. And so... Just out of respect for the Lord and respect for my children and my children's children's children, I wanted to be part of passing on the world in as good a shape or or better condition than I found it. And so I just truly felt a deep-seated calling to share this message with the church and in particular the evangelical church where that message was not being heard from the pulpit very often. And it's really just a Genesis 215 responsibility to tend and protect the planet. It's the first job description that humanity was given, and we were not doing a very good job of it.
0: So you see this problem, you start doing something about it. What is it that you do to actually encourage other people to take action as well? Because it's one thing to see the problem, but then as a leader, you need to call others to come alongside you in your vision to take part in what you're doing.
1: The very first thing you have to do is... Look in the mirror and say, instead of pointing my finger at other people and for pointing out where maybe they aren't helping with this problem, what can I do first about my own life? And so that's where Matthew 7 comes in, where it says, Judge not, lest you be judged. Instead of worrying about the speck in your neighbor's eye, take the two by four plank out of your own eye first and then maybe you'll be able to help your friend or your neighbor remove that speck from their eye. And so I had to really take a hard look at the plank that was in my own eye. And I would say that I had always considered myself environmentally conscious. I remember writing my first letters to our congressman uh, when I was just in middle school about recyclable bottles and things like that. So it's something I, it was something I always cared about. But when I took an accounting, which is what the Bible calls us to do, and really measured how much resources I was using, how much fossil fuels I was using, how much trash I was producing, how much electricity I was using, how much travel I was doing, things like that, I was using more than six times what I should be using in terms of building a sustainable planet. So I had to cut back drastically on how much I was consuming before I had any authority to speak into sharing that vision with other people. So the very first step is to look at yourself and what can I be doing and changing in my own life before I can speak with authority and to others. And then the second hint that I would give to young leaders is it's very Easy to start a conversation and basically, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing, but you say, you know, you're stupid and you should be more like me. And, and that's really where we are today, even more now than we were, you know, 20 years ago when, when I was first starting with this work. But that's really um, not a good way to get <laughs> people to come alongside and join you in the process. And so it has to be an incremental thing um, sure. for us. Because the Bible is our authority and our marching orders, we just decided to stay and share what the Bible has to say about stewardship of the Earth, not get involved with politics. I mean, this is just our personal weight. And instead, the Bible was something with our audiences that we could all agree on, that what God says is important, and we should be respectful of that. And so that's how we were able to catalyze change in the audiences that we were speaking to. In other words, to be very aware of the audiences that you are working with and then think through, well, what can we agree upon? What's our common ground? And then start to move forward.
0: As you kind of just talked about, the environment can be one of those hot button issues today, as can everything else, honestly. And you've just addressed it a little bit But besides finding common ground with your audience, do you have any other insight on how you've been able to address what can be a touchy topic for some people in a way that they can hear it and accept it? Because you're really calling people out and saying what you're doing is not right. Now, you're not saying it like that, but the finding common ground piece is important. Are there any other things in addition to that to draw people into what you're doing?
1: The main one is not to put the focus on yourself but to put the focus on God and His glory. So, being humble and learning from others and looking for ways that you can encourage but not point fingers is to me the way that we have the most success. Another tip I would say is to find. Places where there is alignment, theologically, socially, philosophically, lifestyle, whatever, and come alongside people, meet them where they are, and then work forward. So never to um, make people feel like you are shaming them or, or, like you said, calling them out. I mean, you are calling them out, but you're calling yourself out first, And so always using yourself as an example of this is what I learned and this is where I am on this journey. I have a long way to go still. Not trying to set yourself up as this high standard, but to say, I want to be your friend and I want to come alongside of you. In terms of organizations, we've worked with whole denominations. We've worked with very large organizations. Again, um, I'm the number one grant writer for our organization. I have a 100 percent success rate with our grants, but it's not because I'm a fantastic writer or communicator. It's because we don't apply for grants until we have a relationship in place. So we're not bl- blindly applying for grants. We're first looking for alignment and building a relationship. And then find again where there's congruence. If you remember back in kindergarten or first grade, you learned about Venn diagrams, and it's where that overlap occurs, that's where you can have the greatest change. Because you're advancing the other organization's mission. Um, For us, that's often simply sharing the gospel, because we can get into places that are considered secular environmental organizations where we'll be the only Christian speakers, only person coming from a Christian worldview. But they respect our message and are willing to open their ears. So if we can align where a Christian organization wants to share the gospel, that's enough common ground often for us to work together.
0: Now you've talked a little bit about your experience in leading your organization. I'm wondering, as we look to nature and think about living an environmentally conscious life, are there leadership lessons that we can learn from that
1: so yes <laughs> there, there are that big isn 't always better, and that 's one thing that we we kind of learned the hard way is until recently we had about we had grown very quickly. Um, God has been very gracious to us. Um, most executive directors spend about seventy percent of their time fundraising. We spend less than one half of one percent of our time fundraising. Um, and the reason why we can do that again is through relationships, but we wanted, um, we kind of were very clear with the Lord saying that if you want us to do this mission, then you're going to have to provide for it because we want to stay on mission. I'd rather be paid nothing and just doing the work that the Lord has called me to rather than building a profitable nonprofit. And so God was very gracious and we did grow very quickly. And yet. Uh, throughout this learning process, we also came to a conclusion just about a year ago that with the help of our board that um, we wanted to stay focused on what we do the very best, which is to write and speak. And so we've gone from about 20 employees down to four. Very consciously, we let um, all of our large, largest grants run out and did not re-up them Um, And it's allowed us to stay very nimble and to answer God's call without a lot of bureaucracy. So part of environmentally friendly running the organization is just to understand that bigger isn't always better. And oftentimes just a very streamlined, efficient organization can mirror the uh, biblical principles that God has put in place for stewarding the environment as well.
0: That's a great point. And sometimes the reasons that you make those decisions to go smaller and scale down are not just because of the environment, but because they make sense for a lot of different reasons. And that's one thing that I think is so valuable about your book, Go Green, Save Green. You give examples of how you can be environmentally friendly and also help yourself, which is always kind of (laughs) nice, right? Do you have any tips on how young people, especially can think about how to set up their lives so that they can optimize their finances and also help the earth at the same time?
1: Josh, that's a great question. And it's a huge question, (laughs) but I'll I'll hone in on a couple of things. Uh, One is just not to get on that treadmill. You as a 20 something year old probably don't have a whole lot of material possessions. And once you get on the treadmill of wanting more, bigger, et cetera, a treadmill that um, can never be satisfied, and it's against biblical principles too. Is there any? I I I live in a very comfortable home. I um, believe that God loves beauty and He wants us to have beauties in our life. So I'm not talking about a stark, austere existence with tremendous deprivation. But on the other hand. Um, if you live in a 3,000-square-foot house, then the, your neighbor might have a 4,000-square-foot house, and then you're going to want a 5000 square I mean, if you get on that treadmill, it, it never ends, and you never have the, the peace that passes all understanding. Um, so that's probably my number one tip. The second would be to stay out of debt the best that you can because uh, staying out of debt allows you to answer God's call. And I'll just use my own children as an example our, our son felt very clear calling when he became a Christian, shortly after he became a Christian, when he was about 15 years old, to uh, serve as a medical doctor in the mission field. And so when he was in college, he would not have a relationship with a woman unless she felt an independent call to be in the missionary field as well. So that's starting very young. So are we aligned in terms of God's calling in our life. Well, after they they got married at 22 and he was in medical school and he did not borrow lots of money like most of his peers did. And he worked really hard and he got lots of scholarships. And then when he finished his schooling, they lived in in a 500 square foot studio apartment for the first five years of their marriage so that they could save up money and pay off the the student debt that he did have. And then they bought a very small house and he worked for one year after residency to pay off that mortgage. And then at age 27, he's debt-free and he can answer God's call. And so he serves at a hospital in Kenya where he saves very sick children, and the sign on their their hospital door says, "We treat Jesus heals and He makes a whopping you know twelve hundred dollars a month as a, a medical doctor, and yet he has a richer life than almost anyone I can imagine that's thirty years old like he is so by not getting on that treadmill, he was able to live a very simple but comfortable life save, stay out of debt, and then answer God's call. And the joy that he has as a parent, as a doctor, um, he, in the last month or two, he's been managing quadruplets, three sets of triplets, several sets of twins, all born at at two pounds each. And yet he's been able to share the gospel with their parents and all these babies are going to make it out alive. So, you know, it's a very, very rich life that he's living. But in terms of the world, It is not successful, but in terms of God's economy, it's extremely successful.
0: Absolutely. To do something that you care about and that you believe you're supposed to be doing is something that a lot of people don't have the opportunity to do. And the fact that your son can and the fact that young leaders who live their lives well can do that also is something that's very compelling and a good reason to make sure that you have control over the resources in your life and that you're using them as they should be used.
1: Right. I think a lot of the Bible is about delayed gratification. And this is something that God has revealed to me only in the last year or two. But so much of the Bible is about time. God wants us to think in terms of eternity. And we are always trying to um, make shortcuts (laughs) and to think about tomorrow rather than um, the long, the long view. We'll never understand the way that God does time. But my advice for your young leaders is that making small sacrifices now will allow you to reap huge rewards in the future in terms of having a fulfilling career, a fulfilling life, a fulfilling family, and just contentment.
0: Now, you've also written a book called Almost Amish. And in that book, you highlight 10 different areas that include technology, finances, simplicity, family, faith, and others. Are these all interconnected in such a way that it's hard to talk about each one too individually. Or could you identify some in our culture today that seem to be particularly important to pay attention to?
1: Absolutely. So yes, the answer is yes and yes. So yes, they are all intertwined. But I think the two that I'll talk about briefly with your young leaders would be technology and Sabbath because they're both so countercultural. Uh, I'll start with Sabbath. Um, that uh, the world wants us to go 24-7 and God says that we should take one full day each week and dedicate it to renewing our relationships with family, friends, and God. And that when we skip that commandment, some, for some reason we, we know it's wrong to murder, we know it's wrong to steal, we know it's wrong to lie, but somehow the Sabbath has become optional. And when you do that, again, it's a short-term versus long-term. You will burn out, especially these young leaders who want to be serving in some way that is helping the world flourish. Uh, you will burn out unless you set a rhythm of six days of work and one day of full rest. And, again, I'll just use my son as an example. He uh, he went to an extremely rigorous, ac- academically rigorous high school. Um, he took a Sabbath He was the only one of his peers that was taking a weekly Sabbath. He did the same thing in college. And again, even though it was a Christian college, I would say maybe 5% were taking a true Sabbath where they weren't doing homework, they weren't doing shopping, et cetera, on one day a week. Um, He did it all through medical school and graduated first in his class. He did it all through residency, even though they were expected to work 80 hours a week and that didn't count paperwork that you bring home. He still kept one day a week as a Sabbath. And that's why he is able to serve in Kenya now, because he renews himself not on his own power, but on the Lord's power every single week. And I just have a a small example with my daughter-in-law. She was in PA school, and it was the end of PA school. So you have all these cumulative exams for two and a half years of everything that you've learned. And I said, Val, how are you doing? And she said, Mom, I'm doing fine. And I said, no, really, Val, I've been to grad school. I know how demanding the end of this time can be with projects to turn in and exam, cumulative exams to take. Um, Really, how are you doing? She said, Mom, I've had the Sabbath. The rest of my friends are running around, tearing their hair out, you know, not sleeping, anxiety off the charts but I've had the Sabbath all along, so I'm really okay. And it was a good reminder that God's rhythm, God's plans, God's gift to us is better than we can imagine. It's better than anything we can come up with ourselves. So Sabbath is one huge one I would recommend to your your listeners. And the second is to put boundaries on technology. When I wrote that book, technology was overwhelming and now it's a hundred times even more overwhelming. <laughs> um, and unless we, we um, put some curbs on that, again, technology is not bad. It, like uh, many good things, though, it can be used for bad. And the average school-age child spends seven hours a day looking at a screen, almost eight hours a day now, looking at a screen and less than 30 minutes a week outdoors in God's creation and unstructured play so who are we learning from we're learning from the world rather than God's beautiful creation and so unless we are countercultural and set up some boundaries where during meals we put our cell phones into a basket or on Sabbath we we don't use technology or whatever I'm not telling I'm not being prescriptive here but if you do not put controls on your technology use, it will control you.
0: Well, Nancy, thank you so much for sharing your expertise here with us today. It's something that's so important for young leaders, and I really appreciate you sharing with us. Now, before you go, I have a few final questions that are meant to inspire us toward better leadership. So you ready for this? Yep. Alrighty. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day?
1: The scripture that is foremost to me is seek Ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all the rest will be added unto you
0: use three descriptors to finish this sentence a leader is
1: the first word that came to mind is joyful servant hearted i'm making that word up but has like a servant's heart <laughs> hey if shakespeare could make up words so can i and the third i would say is authentic
0: What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others?
1: Am I using my gifts to glorify God?
0: What book would you recommend to leaders?
1: This is not a typical leadership book, but the book I would recommend is Tim Keller's Counterfeit Gods.
0: If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be?
1: To start each day in prayer.
0: And finally, here is our arbitrary but insightful question. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not?
1: That's a great question. Definitely why not?
0: And why do you say that?
1: I say that because as a person of faith, I don't worry too much about the why. I trust the Lord, but I think that we, uh, our vision is too small and that we need to think a little bit bigger like God does and say, why not?
0: Nancy, thank you for joining the show today. Where can people go to learn more about you and your work?
1: BlessedEarth.org.
0: All right, Nancy, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you, Josh. The honor is mine.
0: I hope you found today's interview valuable. We'll be back on Friday to discuss the interview and share some of our key takeaways with you. If you want to share some of your own thoughts on what you heard today, or if you want to leave other feedback for the show, email us at community@lifeasleadership.com. At and if you think today's interview could be helpful to someone else who cares about becoming a better leader, go ahead and share it with them. Until next time, keep living and leading well.